Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, where it's Star Wars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus, or a weird Legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 190, and it's 8th of January, 2023. So yeah, that means it's a new year, another year with Scavengers Horde, the podcast, in it. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to be back and talking to you, Kirsty. So thank you for joining me. Me too. Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hope everyone had a nice holiday season. Yes. No, exactly. I hope it was festive and happy and associated with all the good things that Christmas and New Year are meant to bring. Um, if you celebrate, of course. And if not, I just hope you had some nice days off. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so just to set the scene a little bit, obviously in terms of Star Wars stuff, there is something going on right now in that they have brought back the Bad Batch, and that is on season two. Um, and I think where we are with that is that I've seen the first two episodes, and you've seen the first episode, haven't you, Kirsty? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and essentially, based on that, our decision as of right now is that we're not going to cover Bad Batch from week to week and that's not because it's bad it's a perfectly fine little show but at the same time we just don't feel we have much to like contribute or add you know we just don't have anything particularly insightful to say about Bad Batch right now is that fair to say Kirsty? Yeah and there are plenty of other shows who are way more enthusiastic about it who'll cover it so exactly go and listen to Sky Talkers guys Sky Talkers are awesome and they're always filled with enthusiasm so yeah, if you want your Bad Batch coverage, we recommend them. Yeah, I'll definitely like keep an ear out to like see if anything is happening in the show that does make it worth following closely, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, right now I'm like, eh. <laughs> exactly. I, like in, in terms of those first episodes that I saw, there was some really beautiful animation. I love the animation of the beach. It looked amazing. Like the animators did a really good job. Um, and it's nice to see Omega growing up and hanging out with her space dads. So I had a perfectly good time. But yeah, again, it's just due to not having anything particularly insightful to say, you know, because we could take one episode of Andor and podcast about that for longer than the episode itself, <laughs> if that makes sense. But yeah, we just don't have much to say, basically. So I'll now shut up because otherwise I'm just going to repeat myself and ramble and everyone <laughs> will be bored. Yeah, and I think we did say before the break that we were going to come back with like a discussion about rewatching Rogue One after Andor. Yes. Um, we we do, do still plan to do that, but it's not this week. Exactly. Yeah, we're planning to do it the week after because, as, sorry, I should say in two weeks time because we're not a weekly show. We try to be a fortnightly show, although that doesn't always happen. Um, but yeah, so we're hopefully going to do that later in January, essentially. Um and yeah, this time what we're going to do instead is we are going to have a little Star Wars news section. So this is not an episode devoid of Star Wars, but for the most part, we're going to be talking about the things that we watched and read in the last year that we loved the most, essentially, and would really want to put on people's radars. Because when we were talking about Andor, we didn't do our normal what we've been watching slash reading section. Um, so yeah, we feel like we have a lot to catch up on and we just want to do something that encompasses the whole year and yeah, just be effusive about things that we really loved. So yeah, that will follow after the Star Wars news segment. Um, but if you are here for Star Wars, um, we totally understand if you want to mainly check out after the news section and you can come back next time for our Rogue One revisit. So yeah, thank you for checking us out. 
So what's new in Star Wars news? Yes, well, some <laughs> of this news is not particularly new anymore. Cause... But it's new to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, confession, I think I originally put these notes together in December. Um, when we may have been doing an episode back then but things happened and we just couldn't do it so some of this is very old news to some of you listening but it's not new it's not old news to Kirsty. so for Kirsty's benefit we're going to go through it all and some of it is new so yeah now I'm going to shut up again because I'm <laughs> um, but yeah the first thing I wanted to talk about is that they've confirmed that the Mandalorian season 3 will begin on the 1st of March and they've also revealed the writer's Um, Would you like to give the listeners a quick overview of who those writers are, Kirsty? You don't need to say which ones for each episode, but just describe what you can see. John Favreau, John Favreau, (laughs) John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Dave Filoni, (laughs) and Noah Claw, who I think did work on Mando and Boba Fett before. Yeah, exactly. So there's no surprises, basically, in terms of who's writing the scripts which is fair enough. John Favreau is a credited writer on all of them. And then he's co-writing two of the episodes of Dave Filoni and another episode with Noah Claw, um, as Kirsty mentioned. Um, so yeah, I reckon we're going to get more of the same with Mando season three. I might be wrong. They might take it in radical new directions, but just in terms of like tone and the way it's written and the style of storytelling. And I don't think that's necessarily a problem, you know, because... I wouldn't expect or want the Mandalorian to suddenly become an Andor-style show. Um, I I don't know, I guess it's just... It's easy to feel a little bit cynical sometimes because, you know, it's always just the same pool of talent with these Mandoverse shows. And I'd like to see them draw in different voices, you know, who might have, like, a more fresh perspective to inject into these things. But, again, I'm there's nothing to judge right now because obviously I haven't seen any of the episodes of season three and I might be completely blown away and we'll just need to wait and see but yeah how do you feel looking at this list of writers Kirsty? Uh, It's helpful to have in terms of setting expectations Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it's only the credited writers I'm sure he's working with a, a table right? Yes absolutely. I probably wasn't expecting much besides this you know it is the John Favreau show and the the Dave Filoni show I don't know if I have a list of the directors in my mind I don't know if that's out there already but yeah I think there's been like individual names thrown around like I'm pretty sure Bryce Dallas Howard is meant to be coming back again Um, okay I'm not sure I've seen a list that confirms exactly who's directing what and that has all the names it might be out there but off the top of my head I can't say I've seen it I think they just have a formula that has worked in terms of it being this like very broad success and um yeah they're gonna keep going down that path because why not and they've got all their spin-offs and those will be continuing so yeah for sorry we don't sound super hype guys <laughs> well you know i personally feel like i've had my fill of what john favreau sees star wars as you sure know? yeah so i think as andor was starting and i it was kind of blowing my mind a little bit i was like oh yeah i'm getting pretty excited about mando season three but then I came back to Earth a little bit and was like, wait, but that's not the same team at all, you know? So, like as you said, they're not going to suddenly start veering into that territory. And to be clear, we're not saying we want every Star Wars show going forward to be like Andor, but Mando is Mando, you know? And it has its own thing going on. And yeah, I don't I don't expect them to kind of veer off that path. I probably expect them to bring in more and more different cameos and and stuff. But like... 
Yeah, I, I guess one thing I am interested to see is how they're going to handle the fact that Din and Grogu are back together again. Because yeah. are they just working with the assumption that everyone will have watched Book of Boba Fett? Yeah. Or will they have to do a bit of an explainer on, you know, where things have gone since the finale of season two? Because that was like a big thing. And then, oh, no, wait, he's there again. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I reckon, I think what they've done previous seasons is at the start of the first episode, they have a recap that encompasses what happens in the previous season. And I think what they're going to have to do this time, they're going to have to have a recap that encompasses not only the events of season two, but also those two random episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Because, like you say, you can't understand Din and Baby Yoda being back together again unless you saw those episodes, right? So they're going to have to acknowledge them in some way. Um, But yeah, I reckon it will be done through the recap, to be honest. I think beyond that, they'll assume people have watched them. Yeah, it's just interesting because based on the finale of season two, like going back in time, where we were at, what we would have been discussing then, I figured Jin would have a season without Grogu. Yeah, no same. Where he was kind of dealing with all of this stuff about being, and I know we've seen the trailer and he is talking to like the armor and stuff about that, kind of like what is his identity now that he's taken his helmet off. Um, So they are going to go further down that path, but I think I just expected that to be like the central focus while he wasn't worrying about Grogu. Yeah. But Grogu's going to be there anyway, so exactly the balance there. So I feel like so far we mainly understand Din as like the protective father type, right? You know, that's his function in the story to protect Grogu. And I think like you, I was looking forward to seeing him be separated from Grogu for a season, because you know then we sort of understand who Din is outside of that role. You know, like what man is he becoming? outside of that like paternalistic aspect you know where he's responsible for looking after this little creature um and i think that's part of why i was a bit disappointed when they were like oh no they're together again now because yeah that's clearly not going to happen or at least not to the same extent you know yeah i guess there are surprises (laughs) (laughs) exactly i think we'll see i think if we sound a bit jaded with this i think it's just because these filoni slash favreau shows they're so dominant you know, there's so many of them because there's also Skeleton Crew coming later this year and Ahsoka. You know, so that's three of the main shows this year. And I think perhaps even all the live action shows this year, to be honest, that are going to be in the same mode, essentially, you know, of the same teams behind them. And there are different. Oh, is Acolyte not this year? Uh, no, Acolyte's probably going to be next year. Oh, man. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think I had that in mind for the summer. I'm okay. disappointed too, but yeah, I don't think it's happening. Um, we'll get trailers and stuff, and Visions is this year for sure. Okay. So we will have more Visions. There's some non-Favreau slash Filoni stuff to look forward to, but 2023 is the year of their stuff, basically. Um, mm. I'm very, very curious to see how that pans out. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's just a bit of a known quantity for me at this point, and I don't plan to watch Ahsoka, as people know, so... Um, and yeah like maybe something will surprise me you know so we know so little about Skeleton Crew who knows what that will even be like you know it might be them trying to do something completely different from Mando you know that surprises people Um, and I'd love it if they did you know but yeah just right now between Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett is all like on the same level in terms of what's the priority for the storytelling and stuff so yeah I, I don't have super high hopes but I want to give it a chance apart from probably not watching Ahsoka so yeah I'm not sure I want to give that a chance at all 
Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, so this was ages ago now. Um, let me just check how long ago it was. It was on December the 2nd that it was reported by Star Wars Newsnet that Daisy Ridley had been on Instagram posting about going to Lucasfilm. And yeah, she just put up a little picture of Yoda, essentially, in the office. Um, and she followed that up after everyone got very excited. And she just put up a picture of herself from Tross Press Events, which is an image shorter to strike terror in the hearts of all sequel trilogy fans. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, and she followed up by saying, Nothing saucy happening, just a lunch visit, but now feeling so nostalgic because this was three years ago, meaning the press for Tross. Um, and yeah, so to be honest, when an actor comes out and they do this sort of thing and they say, like, oh, nothing happened. It's kind of like, but did really nothing happen, Daisy? Did you really go all the way to America just to say hi and just yeah? Because w- was she already in the US for some work or something, or was she just there for that? I don't have an intimate knowledge of Daisy Ridley's <laughs> schedule or know what else she. Might I wondered if that was in the article because you know. Star yeah, Wars no, I, I know what you mean. Um, I don't think she was known to be in America for any other reason at that time. Which... Okay, well, you you don't fly. To the Bay Area for lunch. No, <laughs> from London. No. Exactly. Um, and, and if she did, then it's absolutely terrible from an environmental perspective. So shame <laughs> on you, Daisy. <laughs> That's all casual. Not the use. best use of your time, Daisy. No, it really wouldn't be. Um, so yeah, I think you know it's easy to sound conspiratorial as a fan. You know, when you're talking about this sort of stuff, and obviously it's all like a bit shallow, and none of it really matters. But my feel is that they're probably talking to her about something. You know, I don't think this is just like, oh, hey, Days, come in and have lunch. It'd be so nice to see you. You know, they're talking about something. God knows what. Yeah. But they're talking about Yeah, and we something. don't know at what stage or anything. Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah, they must have talked about something. Exactly. And, and I personally think that's smart, you know, because if you think about, again, like the stories that I feel like people were craving with the original trilogy heroes... What people wanted was stories when all those characters were still like young, you know, and vigorous and like in heroic mode, you know. And I think that's part of why there was all the discourse about like all the characters like Han, Leia and Luke being sort of like failures kind of, you know, and their lives not having worked out as people might have envisaged they would have. Whereas I think, you know, if you're talking to Daisy Ridley now about potentially coming back, there's a few years you know since the end of rise of skywalker but you know she's obviously still very young you know she's more than capable of fulfilling that like heroic character mode you know she's very fit and athletic um so yeah why not think about bringing her back and presumably other sequel trilogy characters as well hmm. how do you feel yeah. about that kirsty um I mean, not much without knowing like who else would be involved and what kind of story they're telling. Yes, you know for sure. I I totally get what you're saying in terms of like it makes rational sense for Lucasfilm to be feeling that out as a possibility. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how they would continue Ray's story after the rise of Skywalker because well, you guys know how I feel about that movie. <laughs> yeah, we have questions. Like, yeah, just like where do you take it from there and how do you make the next movie good in its own right? Because that's not impossible, but like what do you incorporate from Tross and like just choose to ignore? Yeah. You know? Like who do you bring back besides her? 
yeah are you gonna do some are you gonna give rose justice you know like stuff like that it's like there are so many possibilities and it could be wonderful or it could be terrible so exactly it's hard to say at this point yeah no so i'm fascinated you know because my l- little brain is not capable of envisaging what sort of story you could tell post tross you know i just i can't picture it you know but it's obviously not my job to picture it right it's going to be someone else's job eventually sooner or later um so yeah if they are going to do some sort of sequel sequel thing with daisy i'm intrigued you know again i can't get excited like kirsty because we know nothing about it right <laughs> but yeah if it happens i i would be interested to put it mildly so yeah we'll see we'll keep an eye on it hmm yeah, but she could have easily just not put it on Instagram. She obviously wanted to excite people to some extent. So <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Um, because, see, yeah, I don't want to sound like Catty or anything, but Daisy Ridley's career like hasn't exactly like taken off in a big way, you know, like which I don't think is her fault, not even remotely. I, I think it's probably just like a mix of like unfortunate timing, you know, with the last Star Wars movie coming out and then boom, it's COVID, you know. Yeah, so very the pandemic has been really tough for... And yeah, like so I know she has a bunch of movies that are filmed now, but you know, they're just not being released because again, I think there were like COVID related delays and now there's like a backlog of Daisy Ridley movies. They probably want to space them out to avoid everyone getting Daisy Ridley fatigue or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, I think she deserves a much better career than the one she's been getting same after star wars so far yeah no i really hope she gets more opportunities and whether in star wars or out of it yep so then the next thing we want to talk about is there's rumors about a new damon lindelof produced star wars film um beginning filming in spring this year 2023 which would be incredibly soon um but so yeah it's a bit surprising in a way but it's still worth discussing because it's a somewhat known source uh, yeah, this is from World of Real. Could you read out what I've highlighted, please, Kirsty? Yeah. Um, excuse my ignorance, but I'd never heard of World of Real. Do you, were you aware of them? Uh, yeah, no, it's like, um, I need to remind myself who Jordan Rumi is. He's the crux of all this. Um, he's basically like a journalist um, who has had scoops before that have been proven real. Um, okay. And yeah, he does have some sort of connections. Um, he's He's also been wrong. So, you know, it's not saying this is 100% legit, but there have been other rumours as well. This is just the most coherent. So I chose this one because it was actually written in a way that would be readable rather than like a random Reddit post. Okay. Um, Damon Lindelof's Star Wars movie, set in the sequel trilogy era, will start production in April. The film will have a new set of leads, but some characters from the last Disney trilogy will be making an appearance. Lindelof is writing the movie alongside Justin Brick Gibson, while Sharmina Abaid Chinoy, Ms. Marvel, will be taking over as the director of this one. Yeah, so while that's a very small amount of words, if it's true, it's a very big deal because it would be the first Star Wars movie to go into development and like start filming since Tross. Um, which would be an accomplishment for Lucasfilm because it's been very, very quiet on the film front for a long time. And there have been so many projects that have been announced and then nothing's happened with them. So, yeah, I for one hope this is true because I really need to see Star Wars Theatrical get its mojo back because I've enjoyed a bunch of the TV stuff, especially Andor, which is amazing. And I don't want to see them stop doing that, but at the same time, Star Wars really should be for cinemas, you know, and I want to see 
how they're going to differentiate Star Wars films from Star Wars TV in this new era, basically. Yeah, I think they probably felt quite lucky getting Disney Plus off the ground just as the pandemic was hitting, yeah. right? And people weren't going out to the theatres. So Star Wars TV probably fit the bill for a while. But like you, I'm more than ready to see a big Star Wars film on the big screen again. And it has a different feel to it. It just feels more epic. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know whether this is true or not, but like whatever the the first film back will be, that will be a big deal. Because I guess we thought it was Patty Jenkins and then Taika Waititi and then like we haven't really heard anything about. Doesn't sound like those are happening at this point, really, you know. So maybe this is the next one. Yeah. Maybe Ryan Johnson will come back. No, I'm joking. Sorry. <laughs> Even I have pretty much given up hope at this point and I'm like the ultimate optimist in this situation. Um, yeah. But yeah, at this point, I'll settle for any Star Wars film, whoever is involved. Um, and yeah, on the subject of Lindelof, we do know that he's working on a Star Wars thing because that was announced by the trades, you know, I think a few years ago now, actually. Um, you know, that he was developing something, even though there weren't any details. Um, and I do like some of Lindelof's work. I particularly liked his Watchmen TV series. I thought that was really well done. Um, yeah, I like Lost back in the day as well. Yeah, oh. no, exactly. People give Lost shit for not knowing how to end and stuff, but that wasn't it Damon was Lindelof's fun. fault. It was like, get over it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> People need to loosen up. It's fine. Um, and yeah, I'm also intrigued by the thought that this movie would potentially be set in the sequel era but have new leads. Because... Yeah, I, I just kind of like, what are they doing? Like, what story could this be? And I don't even say that in like an accusatory way. It's not like, what are you doing? It's more just like, I, I genuinely can't grasp what this might be. And in a way, yeah. that's exciting. I guess. Hopefully it means that it's outside that framework of Empire versus Rebels. Yeah, right? I feel like, like it it's would just have to be. Comp- you know, yeah. they have to like rethink what it's going to be going forward. You know, so they can't just have we're the second daughter <laughs> and just go on and on until they reach i don't know like the 50th order or something. well we've had the final order yeah we've so. had the final order exactly so clearly it's all done right if we've had the final order so nothing can follow the final order um so yeah um i'm intrigued by this again like kirsty said we can't take it to the bank that this is real but I think it's safe to say that if it is real, we will know for sure by the time Celebration comes around at the end of April. So whether it's... Oh, it's April. Yeah, because if it's... Yeah, that if this is true, then they're saying they'll have started filming by then. Exactly. And to be honest, if it's true, I, I respect them for keeping so incredibly secret about this and, you know, not making any announcements, keeping it all very close to their chest because they've learned their lesson <laughs> yeah exactly so we've all been burnt so many times you know we've all got serious trust issues so it's like until it's literally in front of cameras filming fully cast fully budgeted etc etc just don't tell us anything you know and it would be quite cool of a celebration i'm sure there'd be a shit ton of rumors and leaks by that point but if they chose that to make the official announcement and they had like a little clip you know from the first day's filming or something i don't know um, because yeah, that it would help build people's trust up again. I think. Yeah, it would be great if they had a big announcement of a new movie for celebration because there wasn't really anything huge like that last time, was there? Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully they're saving all the special things for London. Return to. And you'll be attending. I will be at least for one day, um, because yeah, I'll give people listening to the podcast a scoop. I have submitted a idea for a panel 
to Star Wars Celebration London um, with some cool guests who I will not talk about right now. Um, but I'm quite excited about that. Who knows if it will be picked up or not. But obviously if it is picked up and it goes ahead, then I'll announce it on this podcast and yeah, might see people in person at Celebration. So that'd be cool. And even if it's not picked up, I'm still going to go, but only to one of the days because I'm not made of money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have my fingers crossed for you. Thank you. I think it can get quite competitive, right? I've seen other people quite disappointed when it doesn't work out for them. Yeah. But it's just the reality of like, they're going to have so many people wanting to do that because it's such a cool opportunity. Yeah. But thinking positive for you. Thank you very much. I've got my fingers crossed, so we'll see. I I won't be super bummed out if um, we don't get in because... Yeah, I get kind of nervous about presenting to a big group and stuff. Um, but at the same time, it would be cool. And it's good to stretch yourself sometimes, isn't it? So, Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And then finally, um, we had um, an interview with the Acolyte cast member Daphne Keen, where she was talking a little bit about what's going on with the Acolyte and stuff. And it's not a super detailed explanation, but it's a little bit extra than we've had before. So this is from Tech Radar. Um, could you read out the first paragraph I've highlighted, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. She says, I can tease that it's a prequel. Keen joked when asked what she could say about the Acolyte. No, I mean, as you know, it's set 100 years before the prequel movies, and it's kind of an explanation of how the Sith infiltrated the Jedi. It's a Sith-led story, which has never been done before. It's been really fun to film. The cast is amazing, and the director and crew are just lovely. The whole experience is wonderful, and I'm already excited for people to see it. Yeah. So, obviously, we were already both very intrigued by the Acolyte, um, but I just wanted to include this because the idea that it's about a Sith infiltrating the Jedi, that bit felt quite new to me. I don't think I've seen that anywhere else. And Yeah. yeah. Does that mean, like, a Sith will be, like, one of the central characters and we'll be following them as, like, a protagonist? Yeah, that's very much the impression I'm getting from that because she she says it's a Sith-led story, right? So... Yeah, I, I hope that's Amandler, true, because that's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I reckon that Amandla Stenberg's um, character is probably going to be the Sif in training. You know, that's my best guess right now. Um, I don't know who Daphne's going to be playing, and obviously Daphne isn't saying. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very intrigued by this project. And yeah, just the idea of like showing that infiltration is very interesting, because obviously in the prequels, Palpatine obviously is a Sith and has been for some time um, but this is obviously before Palpatine so I'm wondering is it going to suggest that there was like a Sith prior to Palpatine who already had like infiltrated the Order in some fashion I guess that must be what it's doing based on this um, but yeah if that is the case it sounds really intriguing hmm yeah and then what happened to them yeah exactly maybe they're plagiarists <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because he, he does talk about how he killed off his master. Yes. But, yeah, was he, like, in the Jedi Order? I don't know. Exactly. So there's lots of potential. And, honestly, from reading the High Republic books, <laughs> this will sound awful, but I'm finding that a lot of the time the Jedi are just a bit boring, to be honest. They're just too good. But it's got to be by design, to an extent, right? Yeah, I do think it's by design. <laughs> but I was honestly reading the latest book, Convergence, and I enjoyed it a lot. But... It was such that there were like four main characters, one Jedi and three non-Jedi, 
and I found myself enjoying the stuff with the non-Jedi way more than the stuff with the Jedi because obviously the Jedi is always like oh I'm perfect and holier than thou and not literally saying that but acting that way and oh it just like was boiling my blood so yeah the thought of like bad guys infiltrating them and messing stuff up that excites me yeah that's more fun exactly yeah <laughs> bring in the badness well I like my villains I do <laughs> Um, okay, brilliant. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the end as far as the news is concerned. Um, I'm sure there's been loads of other random bits and pieces that I haven't included here, but to the best of my knowledge, that's the main stuff and the stuff that we'd actually be able to contribute coherent thoughts to. <laughs> um, so yeah, we hope that was interesting for people, and we now want. I think to- there was new stuff about like the the video game and and that, but we don't follow those things. Yeah, no, Sorry. exactly. I'm kind of like <laughs> video games. What video games? <laughs> Uh, I'm joking I know there are actually video games on the horizon I I did know the title of it I've already forgotten the one with Cal Kestis oh um oh Jedi Survivor maybe that's it Survivor yeah yeah no exactly very exciting for the people who care about that yeah no so I know that's a sequel to a game that a lot of people loved and I can't remember the name of that original game that people loved but I know people loved it so Fallen Order Fallen Order thank you and I did watch some cutscenes of that one nice not all of it but yeah, no, and again, I've heard it's a great game, you know, and I do like games, I just don't have time to play them, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy for the people who were made happy by that, because I know that's going to be a big Star Wars thing this year. Someone buy me a console, then I'll be excited about the games, I'll talk about them then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, okay. Uh, but yeah, let's move on, because we now want to talk about our media highlights of 2022. So essentially, we're going to split this by category. So we're going to talk about films, TV shows, and books. And this is all stuff that we watched or read in 2022. So it doesn't necessarily have to be from that year, but that happens to be the year that we watched it or read it or whatever. Um, So yeah, this is really just an opportunity for us to be effusive about stuff we really loved and felt passionate about. And yeah, just like recommend things and be passionate because yeah i think we both enjoy doing that and we feel like that's where our strength lies yeah can i also say i've tried really hard not to include anything that i already mentioned like towards the beginning of last year when we were doing our recommendations yes same but it doesn't mean that those things wouldn't have been like top of the year for me like i definitely have a recency bias going on of a lot of the stuff that i'm talking about like it's stuff that i've loved but it's definitely not like a definitive list of like the stuff that i enjoyed last year like i enjoyed a lot so yeah please you know if you want to go back and hear more recommendations and you missed those earlier episodes you can go back and look at those i think we just have them listed in the show notes as well if you don't want to actually listen but yeah a lot of stuff yeah that's a really great point and yeah i would just echo that because yeah i've talked about a bunch of other films in particular throughout the year that i'd also really recommend but I've tried to avoid including here, although I feel like I have already mentioned Godfather Part 2, but spoiler! (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, hopefully there's not too much repetition and you hear some stuff in here that makes you think, oh, we'll go and check that out, because yeah, that's the plan. Uh, So yeah, Kirsty, what is the first film that you would like to recommend to people? This is one that I've been wanting to talk about and recommend since last May, which I think is when we stopped doing our recommendations like with our regular recordings because I think that was around the time we started watching Kenobi. It was, I don't know if I've got yeah. the timing 
confused but um so we stopped doing that and then I just like had it in my mind for ages and then it's January (laughs) (laughs) but it's the night of the hunter Uh, it's a 1955 movie directed by Charles Lawton yes correct um who I looked up immediately after I watched this film and realized that this was the the one and only film he ever directed and I was pretty crushed yeah because it's it blew my mind I agree with you. I've seen Night of the Hunter and I think it's an absolute masterpiece and yeah, it's a real tragedy that he never directed anything else. It's crushing because I I started reading about it and I was like, oh, people didn't like this movie when it came out. Yeah. Like, it it blew my mind because as we were watching it, I was like, I can't believe how good this is. Yeah. I'm betraying my ignorance here because it is considered a classic now. It's very popular. I've since bought the Criterion Blu-ray, but at the time it was not well received. And I just find that so fascinating. Yeah. And I'm, I hope to read more about it. Um, I'm planning to read the book. Um, but I mean, how to describe this movie? I, I think we decided to watch it because we've been on a bit of a Robert Mitchum kick in general. Oh, I love Robert Mitchum so much. I think about this movie almost every day, honestly. It like crops up in my mind. Wow. It's You know... When you just like engage with a piece of art that just like gets into your psyche, like somehow this has just like become, it's just had like a huge impact on me. That's amazing. And I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. yeah. I love that when it's like art that's 70 years old and it can just still strike you like a thunderbolt like that. That's just wonderful. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like there are some really striking visuals and shots. And I'm just, again, I'm just shocked that the Charles never got to direct again. It just makes me so sad. Yeah. Um, but the story as well is just like one of those like fairy tale dark gothic epics that just like it it chills you like I was watching it and I just kind of felt electric. Yeah. Now it reminds me of Hansel and Gressel kind of the story with like the children being under threat from the person who should be looking after them and then having to flee and yeah but like obviously the witch is a good witch in the story and yeah it's just really i agree with you it's like proper fairy tale vibes even though the story itself isn't fantastical in that way yeah and it obviously has like a heavy religious spiritual component as well because he's a an evil preacher essentially right yes he's someone who's meant to be in this position of authority in terms of you know actually being a morally good trustworthy person and he's not at all he's like evil incarnate yes um and I always love Shelley Winters as well. And she just plays these kinds of roles so well. Like her performance as Lolita's mother as well has always stayed with me. You know, this kind of older, emotionally vulnerable person who just somehow falls into that trap. There's like an emptiness and a neediness there to be loved by someone. And they, they just kind of get taken under by someone who's so twisted and doesn't go well for them let's say that yeah um yeah but i I don't know how to talk about things in a deep way without spoiling them yes but i i just cannot recommend this film enough so it's one of those classics that's like how did i not know about this i'm so glad i've watched it now uh i think everyone should watch it it's like a an incredible piece of film history yeah um 
yeah. Exactly. And it's just genuinely tense as well. There's, again, I won't spoil it, but there's sequences in it where your heart is just racing because the yeah. lead characters are children and you're so invested in these children and you want them to be safe so intensely that there's certain scenarios that they are put in where you're just holding your breath. And yeah, it's just incredibly well done. Yeah. So that's. Well, I put that at the top of my list, but I'm not really ranking things, you know, because they're all so different and I've watched films from, you know, lots of different decades and genres, but heartily recommend that one. Yeah, for sure. What about you? Like probably the greatest film I watched last year was The Godfather Part 2. Um, shocking, which is universally <laughs> considered one of the best films ever made. Um, but whatever, I'll say anyway. Um, obviously directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I vastly prefer it to the original Godfather, which I'm told is a little bit of a hot take, even though Part 2 is also considered a masterpiece. But yeah, I just think it's a way better film. I really like how it juxtaposes past and present. Um, because it follows Michael Corleone in the present and then his father Don Corleone when he's like back in Italy and then eventually coming over to America as an immigrant and it's contrasting the fall of the son with the rise of the father essentially and there aren't like obvious points of connection between the narratives you know there's not much obvious crossover but I just really enjoyed the thematic interconnections you know and how each of those interconnecting stories throws light on the other one and sort of recontextualizes it for you as the viewer. Um, so yeah, I just found it really fascinating and well done and obviously beautifully filmed, amazing acting, you know, just flawless. You know, everything was really, really well done. Yeah, a masterpiece. Yeah, exactly. What <laughs> I don't else have you too say? much to add because <laughs> it is like one of those ones that, yeah, everyone should watch. Exactly, it's pretty great. Uh, yeah, what else would you like to mention, Kirsty? Um, well, this is another one that, like, after I watched it, I was like, man. And to be fair, I had been very aware of this film, unlike Night of the Hunter, and it had just been on my list for ages, like decades. Um, I watched Bound by the Wachowskis. Um, so this is 1996. It's pre-Matrix. Um, and it's uh, a wonderfully stylish um you know you you're immediately hooked into the story of these characters it's a sapphic noir um with some twists and yeah just a fantastic film and just one from some directors who've obviously had a huge impact on me like i'm talking about the matrix quadrilogy now um but this was just one that just slipped by me for so long and I'm really glad that I finally watched it yeah no I really love Bound it's so so well done and yeah it's interesting because you can tell from watching it that the Wachowskis these super super talented filmmakers um but it's also so it kind of feels atypical compared to the rest of their works it's this really tightly contained very focused thriller you know focused on like a small cast of characters and yeah like i love it but i also love that it's so different from the rest of the work basically is what i'm trying to say it's yeah. very very sexy in a way i don't think any of their other films quite match and there are sexy moments in all their other films but yeah bound is just electric it's really good yeah and you can kind of see where they were going with the matrix in terms of like their aesthetics and some of the style influences in this film i think yeah no that's true there's definitely stuff in 
um, bound that prepares you for the rave in um, Reloaded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) And it's an interesting one as well, because I think at the time, or I I don't know about, well, I guess I don't know. It was 1996. Like I said, I haven't, I've only just recently watched this film, but I have been reading a book about the Wachowskis cinema in the context of like, you know, the history of trans cinema and queer cinema. And I think maybe this film was considered a bit controversial at the time Mm. because people, you know, not concerned with the Wachowskis personally were obviously making assumptions and, and didn't have the full story. So it's kind of interesting to watch it with that context as well. Yeah, and that must have been really interesting to read about. Was there like a whole chapter on Bound? Yeah. Um, the I'm making my way through... Uh, I can't remember the... I'm hesitant to recommend it because I haven't finished it, yeah. but I'm making my way through slowly. Of um, um, It's by K.R.M. Keegan, and it's called Sensing Transgender, um, Lana and Lily Wachowski. And I think there's a chapter on every one of their films. Oh, is there a chapter on Jupiter Ascending? Yes. Yes! <laughs> I need to read more academic um, ruminations on um, Jupiter Ascending. Well, that's why it's taken me so long to get through it, because it is, and, you know, the, the, the writer is an academic, and it's, it's very much, like, for that audience. Yeah, So sure. yeah, it's it's heavy. You need to prepare it with that, approach it with that in mind. Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I second Kirsty's recommendation. Bound is amazing. You should all watch it. <laughs> all of you all of you every one of you you'll all love it i guarantee it it's the thing i never want to feel like i'm trying to assign people homework you know do what you want (laughs) we all have our tastes but sometimes i just watch a film and i'm like kicking myself like how did i not get to this sooner but that's also the beauty of it isn't it like you're constantly discovering amazing stuff that just like shapes you in a small way going forward it's it's pretty cool yeah ah it's cool guys exactly that's why we get so passionate about it this is awesome um yeah so then my next pick is an italian horror film which is all in english so hear me out wait for it and it's not suspiria it's inferno directed by dario argento and i watched this when we were podcasting about andor so i had the whole Kirsty thing where i was like dying to recommend it but obviously i couldn't because we weren't doing recommendations when we were talking about andor um but yeah, I think... Have you seen Suspiria, Kirsty? No. <gasps> Argento is actually a complete blind spot wow. for me. So, uh, yeah, oh I have some, some things to do there. <laughs> That's but... so bad. No, we're joking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm being horrible. I, think... I haven't seen the new one either. So Yeah, like definitely prioritise the original over the new one. Um, I think the new one is good, Um, but, you know, it's so indebted to the first one that there's kind of no point watching it without having seen the original Suspiria. Um, but anyway, Dario Argento, he's like one of the most influential horror filmmakers of all time. And his films from the 70s and 80s in particular, they're his most famous and his most well-regarded. And one of the things he does best is just create this really bizarre, otherworldly sense of mood and atmosphere. Um, and again, it's hard to talk about Inferno without um, talking about Suspiria because they essentially form part of like a loose trilogy where the idea is that the world is being ruled secretly by these like evil demonic forces and in particular there's these three ancient witches or sorceresses 
Um, <laughs> I sound like a crazy person, <laughs> so hear me out. Um, and essentially they all hold dominion in different parts of the world, you know, so there's one in Germany, there's one in Italy, and there's one in New York. And Inferno is the film that takes place in New York mostly, and it starts off with this young woman, and she's researching the myth of these like free witches, who are also called the free mothers. Um, and then she mysteriously disappears, and her brother goes to find her. Um, and there's not much plot, because as I've said, it's mostly about atmosphere. And it's just mostly this bizarre exploration of this very, very strange haunted house in New York um, that's associated with one of the witches. And it's just... I can't describe why you should watch it, but it's just very transporting, you know, and it's so like visual and sensory and just the atmosphere it creates is really intoxicating. And it's like 80s horror, so it's not particularly convincing, you know, the blood looks like poster paint and stuff, you know, so I think you can watch it even if you're a bit squeamish myself, but I have a different bar, bar compared to a lot of people, so don't take that at face value, but... Yeah, if you like freaky horror films that have like witchy supernatural stuff going on, watch Inferno. You should watch Suspiria first, but then watch Inferno. Um, oh, really? Why, why? Why should you watch Suspiria <laughs> first? Yeah. Because Suspiria came out first, and you'll okay. understand they're not Inferno like... more if you watch Suspiria first. Okay, well, I just looked up Inferno is on Criterion, so I'm going to add it to my list and try and watch it really soon. Okay, great, brilliant. Um, is Suspiria also on Criterion? So things you can watch them independently. I just think you'd get more out of Inferno if you can see Suspiria first. Um, it's not, but do you I have might Canopy? Be able to find it elsewhere. Yes. If you have Canopy, it's on Canopy in the UK, so it's probably on Canopy in America. Okay. Yeah. So check All right. that. I'll I'll do it the right way. Fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've just, got you were to describing that, and it just sounded so good. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Like. And again, I think Inferno can be a bit of a... Oh, Suspiria is actually already on my watch list on Canopy. Oh, amazing. So (laughs) they do have it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, Yeah, so I've got to say with Inferno, while I love it, it's very much a Marmite movie. And I know some people who don't think it's very good, especially compared to Suspiria. Um, But again, it's just, you know, about a film hitting you, you know, and just... You, you just love it you know you can't even articulate it particularly well or explain it you just love it that's how i felt about it so yeah yeah and sometimes you can totally see why it doesn't work for other people but yeah exactly. it doesn't affect your love for it yeah. yeah and in this case i can because like <laughs> acting is really bad there's no particular story you, you're sort of like baffled the whole time but for me those are features not bugs um, and they're kind of like part and parcel of watching a Dario Argento film. You don't go to Dario Argento with like intricate plotting and like great characters. You know, it's just not what he does. You know, it's about mm. experiential films that are very, very visual and high on atmosphere. So, yeah, go into it with that mindset and hopefully you'll have fun. I, I would, Please let me know what you think. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Okay, will do. Um, so my next one, I, I felt like I should include a 2022 film and to be honest i haven't made it to the cinema much this year so this one i did get to watch in the cinema but mostly i've been watching things as they've come out on streaming like months later um and honestly this might not have been my top pick i'm not i know i'm underselling it now and it is really good (laughs) but um my top pick for this year's movies is on rachel's list so i didn't want to do a duplicate because we can talk about that one later but this one was really good too it's jordan peele's nope yeah, really, really good movie. Had so much fun with it. Yeah, no, I really love Nope as well. Um, 
I, I just love that Jordan Pill was making these like completely original blockbusters and that they're succeeding. You know, I think that's so awesome because almost no other filmmaker gets to do that nowadays, right? Um, and yeah, just the originality on display here and what he does with the whole like UFO mythos and stuff. It's just really, really cool and inventive. And Yeah, yeah. and you think it's going to go that way because of, oh, I don't want to spoil it for people. You know, it's it's playing into certain ideas of what you expect from that like subgenre of horror. Yes. And then things turn out actually to be quite different and it goes in a different way thematically. Um and great, great performances. I just love Daniel Kluwer so much. Like I'll watch him in anything. Yeah. And um and his and KK Palmer's sibling dynamic is just a joy. Yeah. Um yeah, really love this one. Hope to watch it again soon. Yeah. No, no. Did you say you got to see it in the cinema? Yes. Oh, that's so yeah. good. So I feel like it's kind of like it's one of those films I'm almost reluctant to watch it again at home because it's so it's so much made for the cinema. You know, it's so big. You know, in every way that I feel like it might lose something a little bit by watching it at home. But I'm sure it's still yeah. be a great movie. But you know, it just won't have that sense of like awe and wonder that I had when I watched it in the cinema. If that makes sense. Totally. Like, I love watching films on planes. Do not get me wrong. So I'm never going to tell people not to do that. Like, you've got to do something to fill your time. And it can be a great way to catch up on things. But it breaks my heart sometimes when someone tells me that they watched a film on a plane that I really love and had, like, this amazing experience of in the cinema. And they're like, yeah, I didn't really like it. I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's painful. <laughs> I always think about my old boss who said that he'd watched gravity on a plane and it sucked i was like yeah of course it would yeah (laughs) like i watch i watched that in the cinema and i still think about that experience yeah you know exactly and you're also confident in the knowledge that you're never going to see it again because it just wouldn't compare (laughs) it it wouldn't compare yeah yeah. so but it like lives on in my mind and yeah that's that's lovely yeah reminds me of a doctor who quote but i won't go down that lane (laughs) that would distract (laughs) us even more um but yeah. What about you? What's next? Uh, yeah. So next for me is Decision to Leave, directed by Park Chan Wook. Um, and this was so, it was such a relief that this was so good because I always prepare like a most anticipated list for the year. And I think Decision to Leave was even my one or two on that list. And so often I find the films that I'm anticipating the most, they, they won't necessarily suck, but they'll disappoint me. Whereas this did the opposite of disappoint me. I thought it was amazing. Really, really wonderful movie. Um, it's basically that about a murder where a woman's husband has been killed and suspicion is immediately cast on her um, and there's this investigating detective um, and he becomes obsessed with her essentially and they fall in love um, and it's just really amazing how they sort of combine you know the visuals of a police investigation you know like interrogation and staking out someone's house and police chases and they make all of that like sexy and romantic in these like really subtle, interesting, inventive ways. Um, again, it's all very, very visual how it's executed. Um, but yeah, I just found it really striking and original and beautiful. And I feel like this is a movie where if the romance and if the romance and decision to leave works for you, the whole movie will soar. You know, you'll love the whole thing. Um, but if you don't buy the romance or it doesn't click for whatever reason, you'll just be a bit like, what the hell was that about? You know, so no. when you're watching, <laughs> you need to invest in those characters and buy that they love each other. You know, and they've got this really 
like deep almost metaphysical connection because this will sound weird and like a reach but there's honestly some filmmaking choices that they do where they're sort of compressing the space between them so even though the characters are quite far apart the camera does things that make it seem like they're actually much closer together and in that way it reminded me of what Ryan Johnson did in The Last Jedi with oh, the Oh, I knew you were going there. And I was like, <laughs> I, I love this feeling. I've wanted to feel this way again for so long and this film has given it to me and I'm so happy about that. Um, so yeah, this is all sorts of great stuff going on and again, I, I want to stop here because in particular I want Kirsty to see this one. I'm um, dying to see this one. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty certain they do have movie in America, by the way, Kirsty. So I follow their American yeah. account, and I'm pretty sure they also distributed Decision to Leave. So see if they're doing that deal. And even if they're not doing okay. the deal I told you about, they um, should give you a free trial or something, so you don't need to pay anything. Okay, I've been trying to cut various streaming services because we have way too many. Yes, but you just need to yeah, be disciplined and make sure you end it before the trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also just a note for any UK listeners um, who maybe hearing this is that at the time of recording movie are offering an amazing deal where you pay one pound and you get three months subscription to movie which is incredible you know so they've got loads of really high quality top tier movies um so yeah take them up on that basically run don't walk if you're in the uk and you like movies get movie um because yeah it's a great deal yeah i'm i'm I will report back when I watch that because I expect it to be one of my favourites of the year as well. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, again, it's another film, not quite like Inferno because Inferno has people who genuinely really hate it and I haven't come across anyone who hates Decision to Leave but I know people who weren't quite as taken with it as I was but I was very taken with it so I hope you like it. Okay. Uh, yeah, what's your final film, Kirsty? Um, It's to be or not to be. That was the question. No, I, I know this is a movie. I'm just being silly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a 1942 American comedy. And some people call it the best comedy ever made. Uh, and I, I didn't go into it like knowing that. I just thought it looked interesting. <laughs> and it was on, uh, I think it was on like that screwball classics, like curated thing from Criterion last month. Um, and as I was watching it, I, I honestly, I checked the date that they had released this movie because I could not believe that it was made in 1942. Wow. It is a satire of Nazism um, set in Warsaw with this group of actors. And I just, I cannot believe they made such a ballsy comedy about the Second World War as it was happening. Yeah. You know, I've never seen Jojo Rabbit, but I've seen other people being like, this is what Jojo Rabbit wishes it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The shade. Um, yeah, and I think it was obviously controversial at the time for obvious reasons. Like, you know, it's it's a very fascinating film to watch. Had Pearl Harbor um, even happened by the time that movie came out? Yes, it had. But I, it, Pearl Harbor had happened, but I don't know when they like started writing or filming the film. Yeah, I'm sure they probably um, started they were working on it before Pearl Harbor I'm sure but right so I'm sure that added to the (laughs) the tension of it yeah um but it's just like this whip smart it's like it's razor sharp um satirical comedy um I don't even know where to start with it it follows this group of actors and there's all sorts of like tomfoolery and disguises and um like it hinges on actors being recruited as spies and 
um and to be or not to be is obviously from hamlet and that like plays a part in the film as well because you're following them as they're like running hamlet but then all of this other stuff is going on behind the scenes as well and yeah i just had a lot of fun with it i was so impressed no that sounds amazing it's one of those films i've been aware of for ages but yeah i just haven't been able to get around to it so yeah i'll definitely bump that up my list might need to resubscribe to criterion to catch up on things yeah Criterion's one of those ones that i'm always like oh can i cut it or but then i'm like no i, cu- I can't yeah <laughs> there's just so much great culture. stuff on there <laughs> and it, you know people like they kind of criticize the the actual platform for like its layout and like oh it looks like netflix from 15 years ago or whatever i don't even know how old netflix is but like they don't think it's the best in terms of its actual layout and user experience but i'm always so impressed because it allows me to be introduced to so many new like genres and actors and like the way that they curate things and then present them to you as collections it really allows you to quickly like be introduced to something and then dive deep like very easily so i I can just watch like a whole set of films in one particular era or whatever it is that they're presenting to you and you just kind of feel like you're diving into that world for a little bit like you feel like you're getting a bit of an education yeah um, and I don't see other services doing that as much. Like, it kind of feels like you're getting a bit of, like, a, a, a film class. Yeah. No, I agree. But in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Mubi kind of tries to do something along those lines, but it's not as successful. And it's definitely not as thorough because it has a much more limited catalogue. Like, Mubi's very good for, like, new art house films. But Criterion is, like, excellent when it comes to giving you a sense of the history of cinema and, yeah, like, the work of particular directors and actors and stuff. Yeah, between that and HBO Max, like I've had this run recently and I I had a hard time like deciding what to include because again, as I said before, there is like a recency bias thing going on where I'm like, wow, I've watched a lot of really strong 30s and 40s movies recently and then I'll go and look them up and I'm like, oh yeah, this this is a classic, but I'd never heard of it because I'm, you know, I'm I'm ignorant about this stuff, but then I'm like, wow, I just want to keep running with this director or or this actor and um and they have all of that stuff you just kind of have to be presented it and you don't know it's there until you do so i also watched um ball of fire which was a have you seen that one um i it's one of those ones i've started watching and i was i was enjoying it a lot there's nothing it wasn't like oh god i hate this you know it's just i got distracted or something so i went away from it i would want to pick it up again I, i was enjoying it it was good fun yeah, it's a Barbara Stanwyck romantic comedy and it's kind of based on it's sort of sort of like a Snow White tale. That's what people will kind of describe it as. Yeah. Uh, but it's set in New York and it's like with like the mob and and she's like hanging out with all these nerdy academics who are trying to write an encyclopedia together and it's all like farcical and silly and the dialogue is so sharp and it's just really sweet and uplifting. Um, and then I watched My Man Godfrey, which is like a classic, like one of the original rom-coms from the 30s and I, I couldn't believe how well that stood up as well um, and as I said earlier I watched Jamaica Inn um, partly because of Charles Lawton with Night of the Hunter um, it was on Canopy and um, I'd been meaning to catch up on some earlier Hitchcocks but I'd and I'll, I'll go into it later but it was also because I read Rebecca by Daphne Maria, and um, it kind of got me into that gothic Cornwall 
mode again and i was like well i should read jamaica in eventually but like the film's right here and it's also hitchcock and he did rebecca and i love that one yeah. so i'll give this a go nice. and it's one of those ones that's like it's not considered a classic hitchcock by any means in terms of like one of his masterpieces a lot of people don't really rate it but i had a lot of fun with it nice it's definitely worth watching so yeah no that's yeah. good to know <laughs> i've been kind of put off by the reputation but yeah that suggests i should give it a chance yeah i enjoyed it um that was on canopy as well so yeah i think there's these directors that have that are so well regarded and they have their masterpieces that everyone's aware of and has watched but it doesn't mean their other stuff isn't worth checking out exactly you know and you can often see like the initial inklings of what they do later on in those yeah it's like that's actually what i found with inferno because i was i came so close to not bothering watching it so i watched it at the cinema um and i yeah i almost like just didn't bother you know because i'd heard mixed things but i was so glad i did you know and that just goes to show you have to give it a chance you know you shouldn't just rely on what are universally considered to be the greatest films by a particular filmmaker if something sounds intriguing or like oh that might be interesting then yeah just go for it mm-hmm. definitely brilliant um yeah then i think the last film that i think we're both going to be mentioning because it sounds like it's kirsty's favorite of the year <laughs> um is the banshees of inisherin um directed by martin mcdonough um and i've got to do a humble brag here because i actually saw this right at the beginning of 2022 long before it came out um because i saw it at a test screening um Ooh, you're lucky i'm very very lucky because at the time you know i knew it was i knew what it was i knew it was a martin mcdonough film and he actually sat behind us <laughs> <gasps> oh my god it's crazy he was in the row behind us so um yeah me and my friend were very glad we liked it because we could be very <laughs> effusive in like wow that was amazing as we were leaving <laughs> you know so hopefully he heard that <laughs> that's cool um, but yeah, it was basically exactly the same as it was when it came out in cinemas because I watched it again, you know, so it was great. I wanted to watch it again. Um, and yeah, it hadn't really changed. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a really wonderful film. Um, like, and it's the perfect tragedy comedy, in my opinion, yeah. because it's really funny. There's lots of really genuine laugh out loud moments where, you know, you just can't stop laughing. Um but it's also just a genuinely tragic situation um, because it's a story of a breakup and a friendship. And it's so like inexplicable, you know, that as the audience member, you're completely there with Colin Farrell's character, just feeling like, what the hell is going on? You know, you have this sense of disorientation and betrayal. And as the thing goes on, you get more deeply into it and it just starts escalating wildly out of control. And yeah, it's just really compelling and great to watch. It's just, yeah, it's my best of the year, as you said. Like, I was really looking forward to it for a long time and I didn't get to watch it until they just put it on HBO Max. So it's still there. People should watch it. Um, and <laughs> as you say, it's the perfect tragic comedy. I was like explaining roughly what it's about to people and they were like, oh, that sounds too depressing for me. I was like, no, no, it is funny. <laughs> uh, but in that way that like life in its tragedy can be funny you know and i think this this film will be relatable to a lot of people because i think we've all been there to some extent when a friendship goes south or just is completely gone very suddenly and there's not really an answer or at least one that like makes you feel <laughs> like you've got your your closure and can move on like there's this weird thing where 
we have the social conventions for romantic relationships to break up but we're friends there's not really so there's like an extra heartbreak to it almost like there's this just like void there suddenly yeah right exactly um i was recommending it to a friend recently who's who's gone through that with you know someone who was a close friend of theirs and it's just it's gone um and i was like i know how that feels and there's this film i watched recently that just like got to the heart of that in such a funny and sad way and it's so poignant and it's gorgeous um and obviously i was just looking forward to it primarily like from the beginning before i even knew what it was about i love in bruges right and yep. it was just great to see the gang back together for that too so yeah i think what this film captures is just the inexplicable nature of the ending of some friendships you know where you're like it doesn't make any sense and yeah. it's just two people finding themselves with different priorities and in different places which in a way is part of the irony of the film right because a lot of the frustration comes from them both living on this tiny remote island where it's literally impossible to avoid each other and yeah like it's just really well done how it explores the complexities of that situation and it doesn't like demonize um brendan gleason's character either you know like even though he's the one who cut off the friendship because you feel great sympathy for colin farrell's character but at the same time when you hear his reasons and you see his subsequent behavior you are like it might not have been the right way to handle it but you can understand why he reached this conclusion (laughs) essentially so yeah and i i love the complexity of that yeah it's asking a lot of questions right around how we all choose to spend our time um what's the value of like spending your time on your creative pursuits versus hanging out and just socializing with people who you feel like you've had your fill of um like that yeah it's like what's the difference between being nice and being kind um and I think, as you say, it's specific in that it's talking, it's like that they're located on this tiny island, so they're impossible, it's impossible for them to avoid each other to an extent. But it kind of reminded me of, you know, in regular day-to-day life of most people who are active on social media, you can have a friendship kind of go south and yet you still see traces of that person everywhere and it can be kind of hard to avoid people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, no, I know what you mean. It's like yeah, the internet in captures it. that like small town feeling sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people can still be like, I'm, you know, I'm getting personal here, but people can still be like liking your shit and it's like, you don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh my God, that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, because those little conversations that they have throughout the film where it like seems like there might be a reconciliation and then there isn't, you know, that's that's interesting too, where he's like, you think there's an olive branch being extended, but really it's just like, you've kind of put him in this awkward situation where he has to talk to you. But yeah. Anyway, it's also just really gorgeous. Yeah. As you would expect for a, the film set in rural Ireland, you know. It looks amazing. Um, I, I really loved... Um or oh god kerry i think i'm trying to remember her surname yeah she was uh, great. playing the sister essentially yeah. the actress who played the sister she was absolutely astounding like and that's like 
it, it was was a hard role to play because she's kind of like the straight man in the situation. You know, she's the sensible kind of boring one, I guess. But she yeah, but she this... has her own story. No, too. no, she did. She had her own story and just the performance. She made it like so warm and sensitive, and I was so invested in her. You know, and yeah, yeah, it was re- every aspect of it was wonderfully done, and Bar- Barry Keogh was also really excellent um, as like the young lad. Um, very strong choices, but all well judged in his performance. Yeah. So, yeah, great work. Yeah. I really captured like the sense of people having completely different perspectives of the same like relationship or situation that there's not like one objective take, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah, the tragedy that can come out from that and the humor as we've established. So, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> Um, yeah, then briefly, I think, because neither of us watch all that much TV, um, we did briefly want to acknowledge um, our favourite TV shows of the year. Um, and I think for both of us, I don't know if how you'd rate it relative to Severance, Kirsty, so I know you're absolutely incandescent about Severance. Um, but I think for both of us, Andor is right up there. For me, it's easily the best TV show I watched last year no contest um but i didn't watch severance so um maybe i would think differently if i'd watched all of severance um but yeah i, I think you agree don't you Kirsty, about andor yeah I, i'm not really willing to compare them too much because they're totally different yes. in like tone and what they're trying to do so but they're andor and severance are definitely the shows that i enjoyed most last year but then i was thinking about it and i was talking to my husband and i was like we didn't watch a lot of tv last year yeah like it might just be these two that i would you know think worth recommending at all because a lot of stuff i kind of started and then lost interest in even stuff that like everyone else seemed to be enjoying i was like a couple episodes in i was like i'm good yeah um so yeah talk about severance kirsty okay i will i'm really wary of accidentally spoiling people because i went into this not knowing anything except like the bare minimum i've only seen the first episode i do want to watch more okay it just it follows the adam scott character is that his name um i think oh. so he's adam something yeah i've seen him in like big little eyes and um parks and rec and stuff good actor um it follows him as he works for a company that has this strange procedure where it like severs you in two so that your work person and your home person are living two completely different lives so when you go into the building to go to work you go up in the elevator and when you get to the top you're who you are at work and you have no memories of what goes on outside that building so you don't know who you're married to if you're married if you have children anything like that so definitely like a unique premise felt kind of like westworldy that sort of thing but i was wary as well because shows like westworld tend to fall off the wagon after a season or two in my experience um but yeah just like really really got invested in the show it goes deeper and deeper every episode there are twists and turns you don't expect there are unexpected like relationships that crop up that like really wowed me um between yeah characters i didn't expect and um some some performances from actors there that i didn't know were going to be in the show and then just like really floored me um and then by the time you get to the finale it's one of the best finales of television that i've seen in a long long time and i was like oh my god i can't believe i have to wait for series two now (laughs) 
which was a really good feeling. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Like, I remember my overwhelming feeling after watching just episode one was confusion. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, which I'm it sure is, is like, intentional. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, it made it harder for me to like glom onto it, you know, because I didn't quite get the hook at that point. Um, but yeah, I want to continue. I've heard nothing but great things, and you in particular are clearly hold it in the highest esteem so yeah i do really want to finish it yeah and with the caveat that like i said i watched very little television last year and this was far and away like the thing that i just got invested in you know other stuff i just dropped yeah apart from andor um so so yeah but i i think it's like you know it's been adored by critics it's not like i'm out there being an outlier it's it's considered a good show so i'm confident to recommend it to yeah. people and think that they'll like it no exactly um and yeah i think it's safe to say we do not need to go into detail about why you should watch andor so we have <laughs> numerous episodes about why you should watch andor um but yeah you should watch andor so if you haven't already please watch andor it's amazing um and yeah in terms of other tv god i did i originally listed a bunch of stuff but Again, it's hard. So I feel like, like Kirsty, the stuff I finished, you know, there's loads of stuff I started and just didn't continue with. But I feel like the other stuff, there's nothing where I feel like so passionate about it that I'd want to like deliver a pitch, I guess, you know, about why you should watch it. I'll just mm. name a few things I watched and enjoyed. I um, enjoyed Irma Vep. Um, and I actually watched the um, film from the 90s that is kind of like, it's hard to call it like a remake of, but... I don't know, like a spiritual sequel Inspired to. by. Inspired by, yeah, whatever. Um, so yeah, the TV show Irma Vep has Alicia Vikander and she's playing an actress going to France to play a role in a remake of a French silent movie, basically. And it's just about all the chaos and drama associated with the production. And it's a bit rambly and a bit self-indulgent, but I enjoyed it and I had fun with it. And Alicia Vikander is always very good. Um, I also enjoyed most of House of Dragon, um, which I know is like the ultimate lazy takes. It's like what everyone was watching, but I enjoyed it overall. Um, it kind of falls off a little bit towards the end of the season, you know, and there's some like really iffy episodes where you're a bit like, uh, kind of, um, but overall I enjoyed it and think it's worth watching. Um, and I also enjoyed the dropout with Amanda Seyfried, which is about Theranos and that whole shit show, um, where it was basically a company that was a massive fraud and it wasn't able to do what it claimed it could do. And Amanda Seyfried plays a very, very scary person who's a real human being, which frightens me. Um, and yeah, that's all very abstract, but I, I don't have the inclination to go into more detail than that. So yeah, check out those things if they seem interesting to you. I feel bad because I started watching house dragon and i i know people aren't really like waiting to hear what i have to say about anything I am. <laughs> but you know when you like say oh i'm starting the show and people are like oh can't wait to hear what you think yeah um i watched two episodes and then just didn't really go back to it sure. and it's not necessarily because it was bad i enjoyed it as i was watching it but i wasn't hooked yeah so i might go back to it eventually but i wasn't like i need to see the next one right now or as i was getting that impression every week that people were like loving it yeah so maybe i just had i missed the boat i didn't watch it as other people were and i didn't like have that hype i do also think part of the thing with a show like that is 
kind of like the FOMO, you know, and wanting to keep up with all the discourse about it online. <laughs> you know, so right. I kind of feel like if you're not watching... I was avoiding all that. Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like if you're not watching it when it's first showing and you're not on Twitter, you don't feel the same compulsion, I guess, to like keep up with it. Um, Honestly, I was really put off by what I was seeing from the discourse because a lot of it was kind of baffling as someone who watched the entirety of Game of Thrones. I was like, why are people suddenly clutching their pearls about these relationships oh god yeah that was so funny there oh, was like so much like, like performative shit going on around house of dragons it's like <laughs> it's like guys yeah go somewhere else if that's your problem because that's the show <laughs> yeah it's like people were expecting some sort of level of perfect virtue from the dragon show and it's like it's not gonna yeah, happen yeah that was weird so that maybe that was a reason i was off put off it i was just like what <laughs> <laughs> which is not fair to the show itself you know that's just like sometimes surrounding fandom and all its ridiculousness can be like yeah no I, I don't want to be a part of that exactly for you it might be better to you know have the distance and watch it you know long after all the twitter bullshit has faded from your memory yeah um okay brilliant um yep so should we talk about books um and kirsty's gonna have a lot more to recommend than i do because kirsty reads more books than i do i, I i've tried to be restrained <laughs> it's really hard honestly when i get to the end of the year and people are like oh because they'll like see me post about it, they're like oh, what were your favorites tell me and i'm like oh my god it's really hard to recommend stuff like books for some reason i find a lot harder to like say oh you would love this yes same as opposed to like when i think because like i get so invested in them where a movie i'm like yeah this was really great and i'm not going to be upset if you don't like it you know yeah whereas like Um, you're more nervous about like giving a book you love to a friend in case they might hate it it's more of an investment of their time isn't it yeah like especially if someone's like not as big of a reader as i am i feel like i'm like I can't just expect you to spend six or seven or more hours of your life reading this thing just because I told you it was good. Yeah. You know? So yeah, of course. So I'm always like, that, that's my little disclaimer. <laughs> like, And I really did have to drill down. And a lot of these things, I've actually realized they're different. Some of them are different from the ones that I recommended to people like just a couple of weeks ago <laughs> nice. as my best of the year. Because I remember ones and I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking about now. But I read it like back in April. Um so I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it does. It's natural for these lists to evolve, right? And yeah, like I'm sure I'd choose different films on a different day of the week. So yeah, yeah. makes complete sense. I don't know how people who do this for a living manage, you know, because all that stuff's out there for like public record, right? And I see, you know, when I when I was on Twitter, I would see some frustration from a lot of film critics when they would have to like say what their top of the year was and whatever and people were like why didn't you include this and they're like because i had five spaces yeah like i love that film too but i have to pick things and also part of their job is to be interesting so they're not necessarily going to go with what everyone else agrees was the best film of the year because they want to say something different no exactly yeah there's so many films i really loved or at least enjoyed that yeah just for time and space reasons i didn't mention yeah so, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? You start, Kirsty. So you've got a lot okay. of books to get through. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to start with Rebecca because it's one of those things that I'm like I should have read this a long time ago, and partly because not just that it's considered like a classic of its genre, but because I love the Hitchcock film so much that I'd like part of me felt like I had read it, but it's actually quite different. And as I was reading the introduction and the 
was it the introduction or was it the afterward something about you know Daphne de Maurier and and Hitchcock's relationship to her work and like what the perception of the novel was at the time because it was quite scandalous there were changes made and I just think that's so interesting to think of Hitchcock clutching his pearls at something and being like oh no we have to change that part that's too much are there (laughs) any like non-spoilery examples you can give of like something that was changed Uh, the one that I'm thinking of is very spoilery Ah, okay in terms of um, in terms of what happens and how it happens right yeah no worries no obligation to say (laughs) yeah people who've read the book and watched the film will know what I mean in terms of that pretty central difference as to what happens but I think the the film still captures the overall vibe of the novel very well um and it just got me feeling kind of nostalgic in a way because I spent a lot of time in Cornwall growing up I used to go there on holiday quite a bit with my friend and her family but yeah just and also as a Jane Eyre fan I felt like I should have read this book a lot sooner right because it is kind of a mirror Demaria was obviously inspired by Jane Eyre yes it definitely has similar vibes, but obviously the story goes in a different direction. Um, yeah, so it's kind of in conversation with that and obviously has some updated um, newer things to say in terms of like gender dynamics and and women's roles in society and marriage. Um, yeah, and you know, you can't beat something creepy going on in a, a creepy big house. Yeah. And that you know the protagonist is never she never has a name she she's kind of she's the ghost in a way like um that sense of a young woman trying to figure out her identity and then you know a man coming in and deciding that for her and her going back and forth and and not feeling sure of herself and and her position somewhere and a lot of the, the conversation around class is very interesting too so thoroughly enjoyed could not put down read it really quickly and um it's one that i feel like i will reread in future as well which is a big thing for me to say because i'm always like oh i have so much to read i can't go back and read something i already read yeah well frivolous use of my time (laughs) (laughs) but i think i will come back to this one it already feels like something that could end up being a bit of a comfort read no that's really nice goodreads is saying 450 pages oh wow which, that does sound yeah like a lot. sounds like a lot but i raced through it it's so readable nice like well again that's the know. ultimate compliment isn't it if, if yeah you're not even aware of the length yeah yeah saying that for the ebook but i don't know what the case would be for i don't know how to change the editions on it anyway yeah they're perfect yeah it's not it's not like a short read but um yeah it's just so readable that i just flew through it yeah there's definitely one I'd like to check out. I think I have a copy somewhere, which I've clearly never read because I have seen the film, but I've not read the book. I've actually also seen the awful Netflix remake of Rebecca, which is very I bad. am avoiding that. And I was I was intent on avoiding that beforehand because I just loved the original film so much. I think it would break your heart, Kirsty. You'd have like a Padme moment. You'd be like, I'm also Rebecca, not... you're breaking my heart. <laughs> I'm also not interested in seeing Army Hammer in anything ever again. <laughs> I feel like that <laughs> was the last reasons. film of his that came out before the whole cannibalism I mean, Sorry to Bother You, looking back, was like perfect fit. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like real serendipity going on with Sorry to Bother You. Um, but yeah, definitely yeah. not with Rebecca, where you're, he's meant to be the romantic lead. Um, well, there's, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know there's other stuff going on with Rebecca. On... It's not a straightforward romantic lead, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, there's a creepiness, but like I don't, I still don't, I don't even rate him as an actor to be honest. So I'm not. No. Um, he was good. And as I'm not going to feel bad about saying that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I've heard that that film is not, it's not good. So bad. I won't bother. Yeah. 
definitely not wonderful for him. Yeah. But I like I said earlier, I plan on reading Jamaica Inn now and The Birds, which is part of a, a short story collection as well. Um, nice. Yeah, people who've seen the Hitchcock film will know roughly what that's yeah. about. I really want to w- read My Cousin Rachel, actually, which, again, I've seen oh, the film yeah. of the Rachel um, Weiss version. Um, yeah. I really found that to be a very intriguing, interesting story, and I thought it could work really well as a book. So, um, yeah, mm. I want to add that to my long list as well. It's your duty as a Rachel. As a Rachel, exactly. <laughs> I've got to check out my cousin Rachel, although she spells her name the wrong way, which offends yeah. me. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're no, brilliant. Okay, what's your first pick? Uh, yes, um, I'm not sure if I recommended this on the podcast. Tell me if it sounds familiar. Have I recommended The Post Office Girl by Stefan Zweig? I don't think so. Okay, but I'll, I'll it's keep totally talking. Possible that you have. Let me know if it sounds familiar. <laughs> Basically, it's a novel by an Austrian writer, um, and it's one I think he worked on in the thirties, um, but it wasn't ever finished. Essentially, so it's kind of incomplete. Um, but at the same time, it sort of ends perfectly. So basically, with this author, he, he died tragically. I won't go into the circumstances in the forties. And this book, The Post Office Girl, was among his papers. And the papers were such that the people who got them, they weren't sure if the book was finished or not. It was clearly something he'd laboured over and revised many times. But it ends in a way that can be seen as quite abrupt, essentially. So some people think it was unfinished and he needed to write more. But having read it, I think it ends pretty much perfectly. I won't say Hmm. what the ending is, but it's intriguing and thought-provoking and all those good things. Um, essentially the story it's about a young woman who works in a post office in the Austrian countryside and she comes from a family that's like in reduced circumstances so they used to be comfortably middle class but after World War One, they lost pretty much everything and that's why she has to do this like tedious job at the post office um, but they have wealthy relatives and one of those wealthy relatives invites the girl to um, a resort to go on holiday with them And when she goes there, it's like a Cinderella moment, you know, where they take her under their wing and they just transform her. And, you know, she's given these nice dresses and she starts hanging out with all these like fashionable, cool people. And she just finds it all completely intoxicating. And then through an unfortunate series of events, the holiday's over. Essentially, she has to go back to her regular life. And it's about what that does to her, you know, when she loses all that privilege and all that splendor that she was experiencing on this holiday and she's sent right back down to earth you know it's like what does that do to a person and it's heavily Mm. a book about class and you know as a british person where you cannot escape class it's literally all around you all the time i found it really fascinating and like real and raw how it treated that topic and even though it's a book that was written in the 30s it feels so like fresh and vital and angry you know about all the class bullshit you know and it's like it has the energy that it wants to just tear it all down and I just love that and yeah it just really really got me you know in a way that very few books have for a long time so yeah I strongly strongly recommend this book it's very very good yeah, I just added that to my want to read. Oh, amazing. On Goodreads. You really sold that. So. Oh, great. Brilliant. That means I did my job well. I, yeah, I hope you like it if you read it. Um, and yeah, you'll totally see what I mean about the ending when you read it. <laughs> I won't say any more, so I don't want to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating that people were unsure if, to you, it sounds like that, that was like perfect. Yeah. It, it, like, it, mm. I, again, I won't go into detail, but it just ends on the precipice of something. 
And okay. I liked that choice, but I can see why yeah. people felt it was incomplete. Um, but yeah, you go on to your next choice, Kirsty. Uh, this is, well, I wanted to pick one that came out last year and it, I just ended up picking the one that everyone's talking about because I did really enjoy it. So I'm not like trying to plug this one because a lot of people might have read this already. It's a huge bestseller. Um, it's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And again, this is not an original thought. I've seen other people talking about it too, but I was thinking it as I was reading it. And it's in, in a good way because this is another book I really enjoyed. It really strongly reminded me of The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay if people have read that. Um, another book that has stayed with me through the years since I read it. Just, I love these books that are ostensibly about something that I don't really know anything about and, you know, it's not a huge part of my own life. Like Cavalier and Clay is about people who make comic books together. This is about people who make video games together. So on the surface, it's like, oh, that doesn't really seem like my kind of thing. But really what it's about is their relationship over the decades as they do creative work together and that can get fascinating you know you really get the ups and downs and love without necessarily a romantic component or maybe there is but it's like not quite fully expressed um and you get like the intricacies of their family life versus their life when they come to work you get their passionate disagreements about the kind of work that they're making and when they come together and when they actually feel like they need to be further apart and do their own thing creatively for a while to be fulfilled and challenged. Um, so yeah, like I would recommend this one to anyone and I also would recommend it to people, especially if they feel like they're in a bit of a reading slump and they just haven't really found anything for a while that feels accessible and fun, but also has like some really quite like dark elements to it because it's about life right so there are deaths there are illnesses there's really great disability rep in this if people are interested in that um and yeah i just can't recommend this one enough to be honest but then i also feel like i don't need to because it's it's been wildly successful and i plan to read more of her work this is the first book of hers i've read nice well, well i'm glad you recommended it because i literally haven't heard of that book i'm not really into like book discourse if that makes sense in terms of i'm just saying if you've read like yeah if there are any articles out there that you know you see them at the end of the year it's like top books of the year from the new york times or whatever it is it's like this is probably on all of those okay. lists somewhere yeah no I, sh I haven't read any of those lists so we should check some of them out and see what i've missed um yeah i i my process for like picking which books to read is really random <laughs> like i can't even articulate how i pick things um but yeah well, that's great though because then you're getting like a broad range of stuff right you're not just following like one person or yeah or one news organization no that's so. true i i did look at my you know like goodreads does like the summary thing where it says like your least most popular book that you read and your least popular book and i think the least popular book i read had something like um 10 ratings and like no reviews <laughs> wow <laughs> how did you come across that one um i think it was like a um, memoir from the like 1970s or something you know so right. long pre-digital and kind of obscure but i'd read the previous installment of the memo uh, i'd read the previous installment of the memoirs and really wanted to find the next one and it was a challenge to find the next one but i did and i read it and i liked it so yeah that's okay. good that's cool yeah no thank you <laughs> my next recommendation <laughs> again this is not like i'm recommending this book because 
while I do, it's one of the best books I've ever read. I'm not recommending Anna Karenina because that just sounds ridiculous. Like this is one of the most famous novels of all time. But I wanted to talk about it because it'd been one of those books I'd wanted to read for a long time and just felt really intimidated by like classics. I've read a lot of classics in general, but like there were huge like blind spots for me and Tolstoy was one of them. And I was just put off as well by the length, right? Um, Especially if you like set yourself a bit of a a reading goal for the year, you're like, I want to read this many books. Then sometimes you're like, well, I'm I'm not going to read something that's a thousand pages because I could be reading that forever, especially if I don't end up enjoying it. That could be a waste of time. But I just wanted to talk about this one because if there's something that you have had in the back of your mind for a long time, like maybe even years, and you've been kind of scared by it or put off by the length, I would say give it a go. Yeah. And I started off this one. I think I maybe read the first fifth actually by audiobook because I was like, I had a copy of it, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get invested. I don't really know anything about Anna Karenina, to be honest. And I was just immediately shocked by how invested I got, like immediately. Amazing. The, the first chapter grabbed me, you wow. know. And Tolstoy just has a way, and it, part of it probably is that you spend a lot of time with these characters. You know, I read this over the course of three or four weeks. And I just got immersed in the lives of these characters and in the society that they live and the constraints that are put on them. You Somehow you really feel it, you know, like you are lost in that world for a while. And that's a gift too, because that's what's so great about reading, right? You can get really into the psyche of these characters, the perspectives of them, but also their relationships with each other. And... And there were characters who I was not previously aware of. Like, it's called Anna Karenina, but I think I read that originally Tolstoy was talking about calling it two marriages. Oh, God, yeah. That was a good choice to change it. Well, (laughs) Well, it is and it isn't to me. Like, obviously, Anna Karenina features prominently, but she's not the only character. And I'm kind of curious now to go and watch some of the adaptations because I've heard that some of the characters who play pretty central roles in the novel and... You know, Levin is now one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. I've heard that in some of the adaptations, he's more of like an afterthought. Is um Kitty? Um, does that name ring a bell? Is Kitty a character? Yeah, yeah, of course. Is um yeah. she part of one of the main couples? Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, because she's a completely peripheral character in um. That is the film shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. No, how interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess because so, it's um, so long, they like pick and choose for the parts of the story they want to tell, right? Um, which I'm yeah. not saying is a good choice, but um, that's clearly what's happened. So. Yeah. So I think I'm going to start with the Joe Wright one. That seems like easiest to get a hold of. Yes. Um. So obviously, Kira Knightley, and I've I've seen his Pride and Prejudice with her. So. That seems like a good place to start, but um, yeah, I've heard that a lot of the ad- adaptations can be quite controversial for that reason, and book purists get obviously passionate about it. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what I think. Um, and I enjoyed it so much that I immediately rolled into War and Peace. Wow. And I know. That's a bold, bold move. It is, but I'm following these people on Instagram who have like set up this thing where you just read a chapter of it a day. And you take it slowly over a year. Okay. So I can read it alongside other things. Nice. And that feels perfectly manageable. And I'm really enjoying it so far. No, good. Um, How many chapters is it? Yeah. It's like 361. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so you really, really do need to be strict and make sure you read that chapter a day. But the chapters are, they're like 
on average i think they're about four pages okay yeah yeah so no, which like you, you say is perfectly it. achievable but yeah you just need the discipline yeah but i'm enjoying that so far and yeah i just wanted to bring this up because i don't know people can sometimes be intimidated or there can be this like weird like fear of snobbery around classics or whatever but they i mean obviously everyone it's still a subjective thing when you read a classic you're not necessarily going to love it but it can be also the best feeling to read one of these like epic novels and absolutely love it with your whole heart which i did yeah like yeah i'm not going to go into why i love dana karenina so much but like there's all sorts of reasons yeah and yeah it was just incredible no so i can totally relate to that feeling of being intimidated by the classics because this year i finally read dracula so i've read god i've seen god knows how many adaptations of dracula but i wanted to read the book you know and see what the origin of it all was and for the first half i was flying through it i was so enthusiastic you know i was like oh my god this is brilliant i think i probably texted kirsty to that effect yeah and then in the second half it kind of just it just sort of like devolves into logistical planning, essentially, yeah. <laughs> where they're just figuring out how they're going to track down Dracula, and it just suddenly loses all the tension. There, there is still some tension, don't get me wrong, but it gets a lot less compelling, <laughs> basically. And um, yes, yeah, so that's why it's not in my recommendations. But I'm still really glad I did that, you know, because I read it, and it is still a really good story. And there's certain passages in that book that are completely chilling, you know. So. Yeah, I second Kirsty's recommendation to not be intimidated by classics. They can be fun. Yeah, I'm with you on Dracula. It's pretty fascinating to read and see it kind of fall apart in that way. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's not terrible. I recommend it. Yeah. And I plan to reread it. Yeah, it's it's flawed. Yeah, I'm glad you felt the same way. So I've had... Sorry, I've seen comments from people where they've said, oh, the second half was my favourite. And I'm like, you... How can you prefer I that know, over... I know, Like, you've got to be act. joking. Uh, yeah, how can... Slightly oh God, more understandable. <laughs> I've seen people say they only like the part with Jonathan in the castle at the start. Um, but for me, it's still super compelling when it's like Mina and Lucy in Whitby. Yeah. You know, and they're being terrorised. Um, but yeah. Yeah, Mina and Lucy stuff is so great. Yeah, that and might then, be my favourite yeah. part over the stuff of Jonathan in the castle, to be honest. Because Mina and Lucy oh, but are more Jonathan interesting. Jonathan is just so funny. <laughs> oh, no, no, I love it. It is hilarious. You know, it's like man five seconds before disaster, just constantly. <laughs> One of the funny things about reading Dracula now is that you're reading it after seeing Dracula's impact on the entire canon of vampire art yes. right like oh films God, and yes. books and everything so it's genuinely just hilarious because he's like putting all this stuff down that is like foundational to like what how vampires work and stuff yeah. and and it's also hilarious to me just... because of how tangential dracula is to most of the novel but he's like a haunting presence he is but when he yeah. speaks kirsty the dialogue is almost uniformly cringe especially in the second half like he speaks very rarely and it's just always like oh it's cringe it's cringe yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not the di- like is a well is a well-written book for the most part, but dialogue is clearly not Bram Stoker's strength. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, it's more about the overall atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. It's very very good. Um oh, but yeah, I've realized it's my turn to recommend something. Um that is not Dracula, so it's not my recommendation. So, I'll just be quick um because I'm aware we're creeping up on 2 hours, which is crazy. I didn't realize this would take so long. But we're very passionate, you see. That's why we have a lot to say. So I'd like to recommend two books by Artessa Moshfeg, My Year of Rest and Relaxation and Eileen. 
Um, I think it was Kirsty who got me onto her um, because, yeah, I was just, I, I kept on seeing this title, you know, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. And obviously there's like a old painting on the cover, you know, from like the 1700s or something. And I was very confused because it looked like modern and a bit punk. But I was like, why, why is there a picture of a woman from the past on it? I don't get this at all. <laughs> and it's not from the 1700s, as it turns out. It's um, set around 2000, 2001. Um, and it's about this young woman who wants to just medicate herself into oblivion, essentially. And it's kind of like the story itself isn't why I found it so fascinating. It's the way it's written. It's just the most striking and original style that I've seen a book written in in a long time. Um, and yeah, there's just this kind of like very flat effect to the narration, you know, where you you feel like horrified by the character, but you're also compelled by her. I find it very difficult to describe. You just need to read it. Um, and then I read Eileen and I could definitely see it was by the same author. So it was a similar sense of um, alienation, I guess, in both of them. You know, the set in both you have these characters where they just don't have a place in the world, you know, and they have no idea what they're meant to do with their lives, essentially. Um, and yeah, the, the characters in both cases, they're kind of like rep- repugnant. But you do like really deeply understand them by the end of it and it's like they're repugnant in the way that like a real person would be repugnant but you that person would never be honest enough to admit to be in that way as in the way that the narrators do in these books and I just found like the bracing honesty of it all and the frankness of everything really fascinating to read um I know you've read both of these books haven't you Kirsty do get what I'm saying (laughs) oh yeah I think it was when we met up in the summer I was talking to you about her as an author in general because I think I just read or was in the middle of reading Lapvona yes that's right actually which is I remember talking about that that in the restaurant (laughs) yeah that's the book that came out this year it's not one of my favorites of hers but it's still worth reading if you um really respond to her work but um oh and I also read McGlue which I think is maybe her first novella or it's, it's an older one anyway, um, later on in the year. And she just, like you say, there's this like strong sense of alienation and like from on her part as a writer, there's just like this fascination with the disgusting elements of being a person, which, as you say, it's like none of us in polite society would like admit to having these kind of thoughts or impulses or even like some of the behavior that they exhibit but like it's obviously is exaggerated to an extent but like i don't know she just hits on something that is like really satisfying to read and get into there's like this voyeurism to it but also a relatability that like i don't know it's it's pretty fascinating and she's a writer who I will just read everything that she puts out. Yeah, no, I feel like that now. As a rule, I don't buy new books, you know, for money reasons, for environmental reasons, whatever. Um, but what I do is I go to charity shops all the time. So every time I do, I now check for like M for Moshfeg because I want to see if there's books of hers that they have that I do not have. And so far I've been unsuccessful. Um, so I guess people must just want to hold on to her books. Um, but yeah, I'll keep trying. So, yeah, I'm sure I'll come across um, one of the others eventually. There's another book of hers. that I, It's one I think I talked to you about in the summer that I read, I think, maybe in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like just like right in the thick of the pandemic. 
and I was also just kind of coming out of the fog of being a new mom as well. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's called Death in Her Hands. And I was kind of mixed on it when I read it, but it's also one of those ones that's like stuck with me and I still think about a lot. Okay, nice. Yeah, um, and nice. I think I'm going to revisit it because it's just like, it's been a bit of like a, a worm in my brain in terms of like how well, just as with these other books that you've talked about, she gets into a character has these like ramblings of their inner life and kind of like descent into isolation and loneliness and madness and i don't know she's she feels like a unique writer or at least like i can't think of anyone i, I know there are a lot of people out there and i've got some recommendations for like short story collections where these writers somehow just manage to really unsettle you yeah. <laughs> you know and there's obviously a tradition of that um it's not on my list but i read dark tales by shirley jackson this year where um atessa wrote the um forward the introduction for that that latest edition mm. and i just felt like that was the perfect fit because she's in that i think she's someone who i don't think she's consciously inspired by shirley jackson but like if you like shirley Jackson's stories you'll like hers yes i think yeah she just seems to be in that legacy of like a female kind of uh writer who just like has the ability to like horrify you in this like really understated unsettling way yeah yeah what's your next choice Kirsty? well i've got a few here that i don't uh, I've, I've kind of lumped them together because as i said i read a lot of things that um really grabbed me this year in terms of like just how unsettling i read a lot of horror for some reason um which is not my usual genre of choice but i guess i'm just gravitating towards it first one i have is jawbone by monica ojeda um and this is a translated book um originally in spanish and um very just very unique it felt like but also i would recommend it to people who are fans of shirley jackson <laughs> that kind of thing where uh she just somehow really gets into the the role of what it's like to be a teen girl and um having these friendships with a lot of like peer pressure and like figuring out your sexuality and your identity and what you want to do with your life um that feeling of alienation from your parents and teachers and um it has like these really interesting like modern horror elements of like uh creepypasta and stuff just like something that i'd never seen in in a novel in that way um just really interesting writing honestly that like got under my skin no that sounds really interesting yeah i don't know an awful lot about that stuff but i think it's because it's on the periphery of like my understanding of how the internet works that like it seems scarier yeah. uh, that like and then just to see it explored in a story um i was like oh yeah there is this stuff out there and <laughs> it's really scary and like it like comes to shape people's lives and and the internet just manages to do that in a way that's pretty fascinating yeah no absolutely that sounds good this isn't like all of the stories that i read in this kind of realm but they were the ones that i'm like still thinking about and like just feel more confident recommending i don't know there's, there's other good ones but i just can't list them all i'm sorry but um in terms of short story collections i read flowers of mold by ha seong nan um which she's a uh, South Korean writer and this was originally published in 1999 in Korea but it was only translated into English and published here in 2019 and um, 
I don't feel like it's dated in any way. You know, like uh, I didn't know that until I'd read it and um, it just felt really fresh and unnerving. And I, I say fresh because that's kind of funny. Like the actual uh, stories and the overall like themes of her work, uh, it's like, I don't know, somehow <sighs> kind of in that realm of like Atessa Moshfeg's work where it's like, kind of feels like dirty and seedy and like um just exploring like these darker elements of human nature and like the these dark parts of life that like we don't always want to acknowledge or explore um so i'm not really selling it because people would be like why would i want to read something like that that sounds so unappealing but if you're in the mood to be slightly creeped out or confused you know Sometimes that's what you want. Yeah. No, um, I felt like that when I was recommending Otessa's books. So don't worry, we're both on the same page. Yeah, I just, I'm just fascinated by these writers who can somehow like really unsettle you like that. It's you know, quite impressive. Um, <clears throat> and the other one is Night of the Living Res by Morgan Tolte. And I picked this up thinking that it would be straight up horror because of the title and what it's playing off of, obviously. But it's not. It's definitely like scary in in some ways it's unsettling and and sad um but he he's a native writer and he formed this short story collection following um this family um on a reservation in maine and it's just it captures their lives and kind of a lot of unresolved generational trauma and um, some tragedies that happened to them. And I just, I, I can't explain it because it's not like one thing that happens. It's like, it, they are short stories, but they're following these same people. But um, I don't know, they just really got under my skin and I'm still kind of thinking about them months later. So I felt like I should recommend it because I mean, what what can sell something more than that? Like if, if it sticks around in your mind and kind of wiggles in there. I'll, I'll definitely pick up more stuff from him in the future. Yeah, no, fantastic. I don't really um, read much horror. I guess, like, the Atessa Moshfeg books I've recommended are probably the closest I've come to horror books in a long time. And I know they're not really horror. Um, but yeah, they sound really intriguing, so I'll definitely look into those. Yeah, I've kind of surprised myself in the last few years that I, I pick up a lot of stuff like that. And it's a lot of stuff that, like, can be categorized as literary fiction like another writer i got into this year is ling ma who wrote it's called severance but it's not anything to do with the tv <laughs> yes. show totally different story but she wrote um she wrote it before the pandemic but it's kind of like a pandemic novel like a dystopian sort of thing so it has horror elements and then she wrote a short story collection that was published this year called bliss montage and they're very unsettling too but like there's a lot of them that kind of for whatever reason I, I, there might be like a a bit of snobbery around it too i don't know things get categorized as literary fiction but they do have these like really disconcerting kind of ambiguities and like just kind of everyday horror that could come out of our relationships with each other right the misunderstandings miscommunications the abuse that people can subject each other to um yeah I don't know. I've just that I've found so much stuff recently that has like resonated. Yeah. Um, but I also completely get that a lot of people are like, I don't want to read that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's <laughs> so. very much like a personal thing, isn't it? Over like what mood you're in and what you can handle. So yeah, 
it makes sense yeah um yeah then i think my final one um, which i'll just mention very briefly so i'm pretty confident i did talk about this on the podcast before albeit a long time ago um but yeah it was one of the best books i read um last year was the power of the dog by thomas savage um and i read that because i really liked the movie so i wanted to see what it was based off and yeah the book's excellent like and it is great if you like the movie as well because obviously it offers you a different window into it um because yeah like jane campion's style of filmmaking is very astir and cerebral you know and like that there is like emotional stuff going on but you don't get into people's heads like you can in a book you know and the book really really gets into people's heads and lets you understand who these people are at the very root um and yeah so it's really interesting characters and really well-developed story so i recommend that one a lot yeah i think i want to read that one that's kind of on my list i feel like i have it in tandem with the knight of the hunter yes i'm like oh yeah they both sound really good yeah both supremely american stories with like an eerie quality so i can see why Mm. you think about them in the same breath yeah my final pick i felt like i should include a memoir but i also didn't want to because i had the bestseller earlier on i didn't want to pick another super popular one I, I haven't really seen this on any lists. I don't know if there's an awful lot of buzz about it. It's nice to recommend something really... that isn't on people's radars, for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's one that came out recently. So it's not like it's an obscure one from decades ago, you know. Um, it's called Insensorium Notes My People by Tanaeus. And I picked this up because it was recommended by a beauty writer I follow called Arabelle Sicardi. And um, she's a queer writer. Um, Tanais is a Bangladeshi American non-binary femme and they are also a perfumer so they make perfume, fragrance, candles, um, makeup and I was really interested to read this because I love perfume but it's an industry that is by its somehow by its nature I guess like formed from um, European and American companies um it's very orientalist in the way things are described um the impact that it has had um and this was just a fascinating memoir to read because they explore that perspective and they go into discussions they've had with other perfumers who are completely in disagreement with them about uh, the impact that colonialism has had on perfume and our sense of fragrance. And um, that is combined with, you know, a more, I guess, a conventional memoir of growing up um, as a Bangladeshi American. Um, I think they lived in Ohio and then moved to New York and they now live in Brooklyn. But um, kind of that journey for them, um, discovering themselves in that context. Um and just just so beautifully written and very evocative i learned a lot um so if you're looking for a memoir that is a bit more off the beaten track this year um i thought that was a great one yeah no that sounds really really intriguing so i love memoirs about people's stories when their lives are so radically different from my own you know so um yeah that sounds really intriguing and yeah like i love that you recommended something a bit like out of left field kind of because yeah even if it puts it on two or three people's radar when it wasn't there before you know i think that's worthwhile mentioning it 
yeah, I was honestly really grateful when I saw this recommendation because I hadn't seen it anywhere else. And I read every book about perfume that I come across. Oh, wow. But I yeah, I'm just really into it. I find it pretty fascinating. I guess it's kind of a niche thing that you don't really talk about unless someone else has yeah, that no, thing. Yeah, of course. You're not going to be like Rachel. And you don't like, always know if they do, right? <laughs> and uh, is, is there something that I'm, I guess I'm, hesitant to talk about sometimes because it's kind of an extravagance thing mm. like in the past i've spent a lot of money on perfume i don't these days because i'm more careful but like i don't know it's just like scent is such like an evocative thing that transports you it's so it's so tied up in memory right like i'm not even talking about perfume i'm talking about scent in general right it just like brings you back to certain things and reminds you of people and like i, I hold on to perfumes that remind me of people in my life who are gone now sure. but like i can smell it and it reminds me of them yeah that's nice so it's just something that's been important to me throughout my life and so if i hear about a book however tangentially related to perfume like i'm interested in it but i really valued this um coming from the perspective of someone who, in the industry who is not a white man because most of the books that i've read have been by white men yeah. and as they go into so many of the ways that we describe scent and experience I don't know it's just very interesting coming from a different perspective like you have to read it to know what I'm talking about but the way they write about the history of Bangladesh and India and tied up in like the the names of different oils and fragrances and and things that we we think we know the history of they're politically charged you know yeah. so and um after reading it I bought some of their products and I I love them. I think they're fantastic. Amazing. Really. And it and that just kind of enhanced my experience of it as well because as as they're talking about like the things that they value in scent and their like journey getting to know how to make these things and and combine things together like it I kind of felt like oh I have to go and smell some of these things now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd imagine that. I feel like you need almost like the smell a vision version of a book about perfume, don't you? Yeah, yeah. the Kindle so, like sprays you with some of the perfume at the particular <laughs> moment. So even if you're not into perfume, there's there's some great candles as well. I really enjoy candles. So. Nice, they're brilliant. Yeah, well that's some proper odyssey through various forms of media <laughs> that we've experienced in 2022. If you stuck with us for that, thank you very much. Um, because. Yeah, obviously, you know, we know that this was founded as a Star Wars podcast and we don't necessarily expect everyone to follow what we're into outside of Star Wars. But yeah, if you are interested in that, I hope that you enjoyed this discussion and yeah, maybe found a few things that you want to check out now that you hadn't heard of otherwise. And I would love to, you know, people don't email us that often, but if you have something that you really loved from the last year and you want us to check it out, please let us know. Yeah for sure it would be really nice to hear from people um because yeah we're very very open to reading out emails because we haven't done that in a while and it's nice and it adds a bit something a bit different to the show so yeah please email in if there's anything you'd like to shout about and i'd also be really interested to hear what people are looking forward to most with upcoming star wars stuff like there might be things that i've completely forgotten about <laughs> yes <laughs> so, it's fully possible um so yeah if anyone has like something different from the things that we're looking forward to or maybe the things that we're a bit more skeptical of if anyone's like hey i'm really excited about this and here's why i'm very interested to hear you know so feel free to send something yeah out. no exactly get us excited about stars guys it's your responsibility <laughs> now no i'm joking <laughs> yeah no i'd also be really interested in hearing what people are most excited about this year because 
yeah, we definitely don't assume that our levels of anticipation for various projects represents everyone's level of anticipation for various projects. So, yeah, let us know what you're hyped about. Um, but yep, yeah, let's wrap it up there. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918 and on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye. Bye.